Welcome to the Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud podcast. Willing to Listen is a grassroots volunteer group based in South Bruce, Ontario, that is dedicated to thoroughly investigating multiple aspects of Canada's proposed deep geological repository for spent nuclear fuel. I'm Sheila Wittick, and I'm so excited to have you join me as we delve into this controversial project. Today, I'm going to be joined by Pat Gillison. He is a longtime Bruce County farmer and has held multiple positions on the OFA, the Bruce County Federation of Agriculture, and other agricultural boards. And we're going to be discussing the parallels and similarities between ag and nuclear. Thanks so much for joining me today, Pat. If you wouldn't mind uh, taking a few moments just to introduce yourself for my listeners. Sure, no problem. My name is Pat Gillison. I guess I, I farmed in Bruce County for about 20 years you know, with a bit with my parents and my own family and worked on a couple of farms in the area around uh, Paisley and Chesley. Yeah, moved there around 2000, 2001 uh, from Perth County, where I grew up. I grew up on a farm just outside of Stratford, Ontario. Uh, we've had hogs all our lives. That's just what we know and how we know, we know how to raise those things. So that's where I'm from. Uh, while in Bruce County though, um, you know, Worked at building the barn with dad up near Paisley and uh, maintained a, a herd of sheep between the two of us over the years. And during that time, I found myself getting a little bit more involved in uh, politics and uh, advocating for uh, agriculture and, and for the industry in general. And uh, found my way onto the Bruce County Federation of Agriculture Board, where uh, eventually I sat as president for a number of years. And then found myself moving forward, I suppose, in my advocacy role for agriculture. Uh, ended up on the Ontario Federation of Agriculture Board representing Bruce and Gray County. So a district uh, rep on the board and, uh, at the Ontario Federation of Agriculture in Guelph. And I uh, was there for five years on that board. Yeah, just in agriculture all my life. You know, born on a farm, raised on a farm, and will always be in my blood. I I have very similar feelings towards ag. I was born and raised on a beef farm. I still have some beef cattle at my dad's farm. Obviously, he looks after them for me because I'm a little bit a ways away from Aurelia. But, you know, we help him out whenever we're at home. And it's the same. Once farming's in your blood, I don't know that it goes away. <laughs> it's it's kind of well, there. I hear the odd chicken crow in the background. I still keep some animals around. <laughs> <But>, uh... <laughs> Well, in Bruce County, honestly, was my introduction to beef. You know, I didn't, we never had any, and there weren't many, not a whole lot of beef farms around Stratford. You know, there's a lot of poultry and pork and dairy. And, and uh, so coming up to Bruce County and seeing all these pastures around 2000 was certainly interesting to learn about and then, um, and, you know, and see what pasture management meant and, and how viable that can be. And, and, uh, seeing the history of the area too you know there's a few feedlots around there too that have been there a long time and um, have a lot of pride in what they do uh, you know agriculture has come a long way and uh, to see the beef industry come along as well I had no idea you know it was, it was great it was a welcoming community you know the farming the agriculture community was uh, was a welcoming community for us and uh, a local beef farmer feedlot operator gave me a chance to work there on uh, for a while too so I got to process some cattle which is always fun you get to find out who your friends are when you're processing cattle <laughs> you get along with. <laughs> and, uh, yeah um, but Those also elders uh, come out when they're moving cattle I tell you yeah yeah I'm pretty sure there's still a blue streak hanging out over you know Lake Huron from me one or once or twice you know <laughs> it's, uh, 
it comes oh. out. But uh, what a what a great experience Bruce County's been, you know, in terms of agriculture, in terms of learning, and then uh, and then watching watching Bruce County evolve into what it is today. Things have changed a lot in 20 years. Probably the same across Ontario in that sector, in in beef, um, but also in the hog sector and a lot of agriculture really changed in 20 years. So it's it was mm-hmm. kind of watched it evolve right in front of my eyes, right in Bruce County. Yeah, I agree. It, I'm pretty excited to have this conversation with you today. Being in Bruce County, you're well aware of Bruce Power and our nuclear industry. And uh, being in the ag industry, I'm sure you're well aware of the DGR proposed here for South Bruce. And a lot of the concerns that are brought up about, you know, risks of the DGR, what it's going to do to agriculture specifically. And I know I don't want to hijack the conversation because I feel like your story is a really good one to hear. And I, I want that to be the focus, not me. but Yeah, I think you have a really good parallel there to talk about how the public can perceive agriculture and agriculture setups in a very similar light. People are perceiving this DGR project in South Bruce, and there are a lot of similar issues there to be dealt with. If you want to just go ahead and kind of tell your story. You know, um, 20 years ago, we were new to the area. We were the new people in the community. You know, we had a desire to be a part of the community when we got there. It's, it, you know, it was a place that I, you know, at first glance, we knew we wanted to be a part of. Um, there was lots of opportunity in the area 20 years ago with, uh, you know, you could buy some land. So that's all we did. Came up, bought some land, um, and then mom and dad um, weren't ready to retire yet. So they wanted to uh, expand the hog operation and build a barn up around Paisley, a, a new hog facility. And just like I, like I mentioned earlier, over the years, Bruce County's grown and involved in, in terms of agriculture. Um, we came out and we built a new facility. And at the time, uh, that was pretty new to, to everybody else as well, outside of the agriculture community, and even a few within the community. You know, a new facility, pigs, talking about things like manure management. I think a long time ago, a lot of that was considered waste. And not long before that, the, uh, the, the province came out with something called the Nutrient Management Act. And that was, that's a regulatory legislated actually um, piece of paper that a lot of farmers can uh, rely on when they're building new facilities, not just in hogs, but in every animals, in all animals. Uh, and it's, it's a document based on science that's been, that was put together in cooperation with OMAFRA and Ministry of Environment. Science-based legislation regulation is something that protects agriculture and has done a good job doing that, but it also protects the environment and all the other people around as well. So it's really important for agriculture and for the people in the area. However, you know, we got there, we started building this barn and uh, we were new to the community, as I said, and, and, uh, and uh, a lot of people didn't have any familiarity with hog farming and pigs outside of agriculture. So, you know, you, what they saw, I think, what a lot of people saw in the village there in Paisley was some ideas of what they thought was going on and didn't have much knowledge or information about what they were seeing. And a couple of people, uh, I guess that scares a few people when you don't, you know, fear of the unknown, right? So a number of people thought there was a pretty large threat from our facility to the, to the uh, Saugeen River, to their community, to their way of living, you know, uh, an environmental threat and a human threat, you know, a, a threat to their lives. When, when I talk about it, it, it amazes me just to say those words actually is, I'm not really sure how a pig can be a threat to people, but 
a lot of people in that community were convinced that our, our uh, pretty small operation, I should add, in terms of uh, nutrients was a threat to them and to their, to their livelihoods and to their culture and, you know, and to the environment. So 20 years ago, it was still pretty hard and a kind of a strange concept for farmers kind of to reach out and talk to activists, right? And it still is today. It's not as something that you really feel like you need to do or you want to do, and it's difficult. But every day as we drove through Paisley over to the barn, or as I went to the barn to, to help build it, signs started going up, anti-pig signs. Like you'd see a picture with a, a pig and a circle and an X through it. And, you know, and I know that was pretty hard for my parents to see, you know, that was kind of crummy. And uh, for me too, you know, I, I couldn't understand that. And, you know, we're providing a lot in terms, you know, at that time you're just thinking, well, we're creating a lot of economic development really here and a whole lot of jobs and construction and materials, um, you know, and I thought about it in that way. And, uh, you know, and then more and more I realized it's just uninformed people. And then there's a snowball effect. So, you, you know, you've got people that are uninformed, people that aren't having their answer, their questions or concerns answered right away. And then maybe they're being answered by somebody else. Right. And then that's the first thing that they hear. So unfortunately, uh, you know, that that was our first introduction to that community was putting up this barn that I think a lot of them thought was a threat to their livelihood. So working through that, it was frustrating. I remember there was meetings called where we weren't even invited to that. That was actually specifically about our barn. Like, And again, this wasn't a huge facility. Like there is, in terms of nutrient management, animal units, it was pretty small. Most of the feedlots around the area were all bigger than this barn in that regard. But the fear mongering began and it got worse. And there's, you know, some of the louder activists got louder and, uh, it culminated in, in a few threats to our family and a few threats to, uh, you know, disrupt the construction process. And, you know, some guy was, said he'd lay down in front of a cement truck to stop the building of this barn, a family oh farm. Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, and I would say that's kind of where it culminated. And then until, um, well, I got to tell you this, none of the facts that were brought forward by the activists were true. And um, there is no understanding of what nutrient management is. There is no understanding of the science behind that. There's no understanding that nutrients and manure is, is, a, is a product that we can use, not waste, um, that it's managed properly, you know, that there are hundreds of thousands of dollars put into storage and managing that waste on the hog farm and on farms everywhere. And that doesn't, farmers don't do a very good job of bragging about that either. Farmers don't do that, right? And so, uh, we had to kind of put that forward as facts and then that became difficult to do. So there was a, a group of people not really willing to listen, but there was also a, there was a, still a pretty nice, polite, strong agriculture community there that were behind us and that were providing support. But at the same time, you know, what could they do too? So in the end, I learned a few things. I learned that, like I said, it's okay to reach out and, and start informing folks. It's important. People, are, when they are concerned about their livelihoods and when they're worried about, you know, the environment, things that are important to them, you know, the environment, um, their own safety, it's the best thing you can do is just go and talk. And I'll tell you, once the barn was built, and there's a few other stories in between there I could tell you about, but once the barn was built um, and operating, um, 
you know, one of the neighbors came over to me and asked me if I wanted to go play hockey on Friday or on Sunday nights with the group and in this in the village. And I thought, sure, this will be this will be all right. And he goes, I gotta warn you, you know, have have the guys out there don't you know had those you know anti pig farm stickers in their windows and on their lawns. And uh, I'll tell you what, Sheila. Five years later, you know, I I would say another. About five years later, um, most of these guys are my friends now, and they're, they always will be. And well, now it's 20 years later. Um, but within five years, we're all buds. We could all drink beers together and talk about, uh, and some of them still honestly to this day apologize for the behavior because they just didn't know. They were uninformed and then they were misinformed by what they thought were trusted people in the community. I don't blame anybody for it, but it's important that, you know, we all take a step back every now and then and think about what's in front of us, you know, it's um, and ask questions. And then in the end chat, talk together, be a part of the community together. And like I said, now to this day, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys. They don't hit me too hard in the corners. I'm not very big anyway. <laughs> These Paisley boys would be pretty big. I can hardly keep up to them, but um, what a great community in the end, you know, so that, that's an experience from front to back that uh, book ended by um, new experiences and then in the end being grateful for uh, for being a part of that community and and a better understanding of people's need to be informed and willing to listen really Sheila <laughs> you know it's I think if I'm willing to listen to people that are, are worried and concerned and I'm always ready I've, I always made myself available and I still do do to this day um, somebody has my friends too. A lot of my, you know, my best friend's not a farmer. He's my best fan, man in my wedding. You know, he lives in Pickering now. He's a city boy, as my parents would say it. Uh, so every now and then he's got a question and he'll ask me about farming that he had heard on the news somewhere. And and that's he used to get my back up a little bit, but now I understand. It's it's a good opportunity to talk about what's going on, provide facts, um, and at the same time realize that we both have the same values. Yeah, the thing that I find too is, you know, with my with my agriculture background and now my nuclear experience, both working in the industry and with the DGR, you know, a lot of the concerns people have about those two industries are the same. You know, people always worry about agriculture ruining their water and nuclear ruining their water. They worry, you know, about land use, agriculture land use, nuclear land use. They, the things are very much the same you know they both have issues with activists they, both industries have issues with incorrect information fueling the activism behind it and you know it's it's interesting to me specifically with the dgr that it's predominantly a group of farmers who are inviting activist groups into our <laughs> community which to me blows my mind it just blows my mind because I would be terrified that these activist groups you're inviting to town are going to turn on you as the inviter when you're running some of these big dairy productions. You know, these activists, there's no guarantee they're not going to turn on you, you know? And I had said to someone once, I'm like, at what point are we going to have calves being stolen out of barns? Like, when's that going to start? Right? And I, yeah. got, I got the response of that's not going to happen. I'm like, do you know what agriculture activists do? Like, they step out in front of transport trucks. Like, they don't always do things that are logical you know no no you know what most of the like even that barn and most of the barns i know now have security systems in place and you know just for that reason for, for activists and it's certainly 
try to keep out of view and uh, out of mind, right? And and uh, but you can't always. So inviting it is not not a good strategy for a farming community. Um, but yeah, there certainly is some irony there. Activism, like I said, is a new thing for farmers to really wrap wrap their head around. I think 20 years ago, I remember a campaign, um, Farmers Feed Cities. And I was always thought, oh, yeah, of course, you know, and what are these people complaining about? If, you know, we're not doing what we're doing, uh, you're going to starve and that sort of attitude. But there's some arrogance to that. And I think as a farming community, we've, we've come a long way in understanding that probably better to have a dialogue rather than that arrogance. And I think I find that the nuclear industry and the agriculture industry have learned that over the last 20 years quite well and have decided that an informed community is a better community. You know, um, I didn't know anything about nuclear either until I moved to the area. I tell you, like, like all our power came from Niagara Falls, right? <laughs> so, yeah. As far as I knew, I learned well, a lot. It's funny though, I, I've had people tell me that their power doesn't come from a nuclear plant because they get a hydro bill and hydro means water. I'm like, no, no, yeah. no, that's not how that works. Right, but people just don't understand where their power comes from or what the energy mix is, you know, and then it makes it even harder to try to explain, this is getting off on a tangent, but to try to explain why nuclear is necessary and why it is a huge deal in Ontario. You know, without our nuclear plants, we're looking at blackouts, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, without nuclear, there's, you know, nuclear has a strong case and they've been working on it for a long time to support the, the greater community of Ontario. Um, in Canada, in North America, in the world, you know, in decarbonization, in uh, providing clean energy. Um, but there's a waste product. And the more we learn about that waste product and how to, how to manage it properly, the better things are. So that's the due diligence that the industry is doing. And, you know, in agriculture, we did that. We've, we have a waste product that we thought once was waste. And we've learned a lot how to manage that waste, you know, using the most available science, you know, the best available science, best management practices based on science, essentially. We're also learning pretty quickly. That's not what you start with. <laughs> you know, you start with, well, what motivates us to actually use those practices and manage and, you know, why is it important to us? But it is, you know, and why is it important to us? Because to me, the environment and the people that live in it and the sustainability of of uh, families and farming is what motivates me to make sure that we're always doing the right thing and managing waste and managing our farms and operations properly. The mm -hmm. nuclear industry is no different. You know, they're motivated by wanting to do the right thing, providing good jobs for families, creating that sustainability in, in the community and in the province. Um, but also at the same time, understanding that the environment is important too, and we have to live in it. So people live in the environment, that safety aspect is paramount. And without it, you don't have any of those other things. You don't have those communities. You don't have the sustainability part of it. So yeah, I think that's where I see the parallels. Uh, a lot of knowledge coming out of both industries in the last couple of years. But also, I think the knowledge and the information coming out from those that are in it, um, that live it and experience it every day, the families, not just coming, not, not just the science stuff. So it's, I think the first time I ever asked questions about the nuclear plant was, um, was answered by engineers. 
mm. you know, and persist. And I'm, I'm sure like, it was so understandable. <laughs> all right, it was not. <laughs> and I, you know, and I heard all the rhetoric too. You know, we, if you if you live outside of 100 miles away from British power, you hear rhetoric. You don't hear what actually goes on and what the process is and what the fail safes are and what the design differences between Bruce Power and Chernobyl are and what, you know, what's can do mean and what that, what does that even have to do with safety? And so if you don't know that, of course, you're going to be uninformed and scared. And so the more information that gets put out there, the more, um, you know, the more the entities like Bruce Power and NWMO and, uh, and OPG um, can get information out to the public and the more opportunities people take to listen, um, what a what a great opportunity for everybody. So, and uh, folks can understand that those shared values are important to everybody. And it's not yeah. Just, um, no. Well, what what I find too, you know, is specific to our local opposition group. You know, we we see things shared about this place in Russia where something maybe leaked, or you know, Chernobyl gets brought up a lot. Fukushima, Three Mile Island, you know, the big nuclear incidents and you know it's played as though hey this happened so it's going to happen everywhere and I always sit back and look at this through like my agriculture eyes too right and I'm like you hear stories about a farmer who abuses his animals right and that doesn't mean all farmers do that right but it's yeah. always painted as oh farmers that are bad on their animals their animals are mistreated well that's not true just because it unfortunately happens, this particular farm doesn't mean all farmers do that. And I find that's what happens with nuclear, right? They have this incident here. Well, that means they all do that. They all eventually do that. Yeah, and whatever motivates that, I mean, like I said, locally, you know, around Teeswater, I under, I, I feel like the motivation is the concern for safety. And that's a great motivation. I totally respect that. But outside the community, those types of activist organizations aren't always motivated by what you think they're motivated by. You know, if I look in agriculture and I look to, I look to those activist organizations like PETA in the U.S., they're motivated by raising money and making money, right? Yeah, um, a guy told me once, you know, that they're professional opposers, that they make their yeah. living on opposing things. I'm like, that's totally true. And if you look at the CNSC website for participant funding, you see a lot of the same names coming up all the time, getting quite a bit of money from the CNSC to oppose these projects. And some of those people are coaching our local opposition groups. So you have to kind of question what the motivation is there. Absolutely. And then they'll change gears every now and then too and lose some credibility. But, you know, I look at Greenpeace and I, I just, I know they're motivated by money, but they play on emotion, right? And yeah emotion is not a place where you can go find solutions mm -hmm. you know and that's where i think i do see the parallels in agriculture and nuclear is that you know when you take that out of there when you do address the issues when you do hit things head on and talk about chernobyl talk about fukushima learn about what's going on and what went on and what what we've learned from it i feel very comfortable you know about nuclear after learning a lot more about it uh, I think I've had I, my experience learning about nuclear is probably the same as every other person in their forties was from the Simpsons, you know, and yellow barrels and, and goo flying everywhere mm -hmm. and Blinky, the three eyed fish up until like, I don't know, five years after I moved to the area, I was fishing off the uh, intake <laughs> near first yeah. hour. 
yeah and hearing all the stories and going wow you know and then and just never seeing that until I saw it with my own eyes so being more informed brought, brings people a long way and feeling comfortable that we are being safe and what we're motivated by you know sustainability and making sure everybody's safe and our families mm -hmm. I've actually seen some not our local opposition yet <laughs> but uh some of the other ones you know bragging about making like a paper mache blankie the three-eyed fish to take to protest and i'm like seriously you are honestly reinforcing a fictional story as truth to scare people yeah i don't think that's fair i, I wouldn't i don't think it's fair to do in any industry you know it's not fair to lie to people it's just not no and well i think there are some short-term gains to be made with that employing that tactic in activism and if they're raising money you know fine that's i guess that might work but there's no there's nothing sustainable about just lying to people outright or creating fear not that i don't respect you know the concerns i think there are some legitimate concerns and they can be answered but at the same time it goes both ways you know mm -hmm. you get information people want to learn more and um, they should be able to it's yeah i think there are legitimate concerns I don't know that I agree with you that those are the basis of the opposition. I don't, I don't really believe safety is the basis of the opposition. That's just my personal opinion. I think there are other motives there that I won't really go into because like I said, they're not factual. It's just my opinion. But for a minute, let's just switch gears and talk about what's been a hot topic lately is the land use of the DGR. There's been posts and comments made about, I've seen anywhere from 1500 to 2000 acres of prime farmland that will be taken out of production. And I'm just wondering as, you know, a representative, you know, you're in the egg community, like how do you feel about those statements or what's your take on those statements? Well, first of all, I think it's an excellent concern to be concerned about farmland and its use other than agriculture for something else needs to be thought about before it's just jumped, gobbled up for whatever reason. Uh, whether it's for urban sprawl or industrial development, it's important to talk about. Uh, in this case, I think we already, you know, those of us that know, and when you become more informed, you see that 1500 acres is optioned by the NWMO for that site. You know, right away, I'm, I'm okay knowing that 80% uh, of that will still be available for agriculture as it always was. It's being developed. You know, I, I look at it as if, you know, I bought a hundred acre farm and I want to build a barn on it. You know, I want to you know, grow the uh, economy in the region. I want to grow our own family. I want to, you know, grow the sustainability and the sustainability of agriculture revolves around expansion and growth and building and, and you know, building our operations and, and modernizing our operations. If I look at a hundred acres, you're probably going to take up 10 acres you know, 10%, 15% of that land to do that, right? And it, mm -hmm. not all of it always stays in farmland. You got to build a house, you got to build a barn, um, you got to put up fence rows, you got, you know, if you're, you got, if you got a pasture, you got to have a gathering area, you know, all of that stuff is part of it, agriculture and it's part of growth. So I, I take great comfort in knowing that that project is going to leave a lot of that farmland in, far, in use. But I also understand growth and development. And I know we, we look at farmland as something that's uh, finite, right? There's, it's not going any, we're not making any more of it. So there is certainly 
something there to be thought about and, and to protect and it's important but there's also smart growth so you got to think about what it's used for if i can turn a switch on and uh have a you know the the grinder running to grow to grind up the corn to make feed for my hogs or or uh, run the elevator down the road or something you know i got to think about where is there waste is there a byproduct to that too and so there is so i'm okay with some growth and i got as long as you think about it as long as it's smart growth a lot of people like to say not all farmland is gobbled up by urban development either right we're talking about farmland preservation some of that is is gobbled up by ecological goods and services environmental goods and services that farmers never get paid for anyway mm -hmm. but there is some land where we would just we'll plant trees you know there'd be hills that we shouldn't have farmed long ago and we, now we are we start we started farming that there's erosion so we retire that land so some of that 127 175 acres a day i think is the number of acres that we hear um, is gobbled up for those kinds of things but i also think about agriculture and agriculture land some of that land's actually gobbled up for processing and building processing facilities and building warehouses to get our our product to the consumer and some of that you know is is for the consumer <laughs> to live yeah. and some of that is for the consumer to go buy their groceries you know you got to build stuff so i never thought of it in terms of like when you first mentioned like the building of barns and like outbuildings on a farm i never i never really considered that as a loss of agricultural land i don't know why I've, I've never really thought of that but it's true right we have we see it here in bruce county all the time with our um large-scale dairy farms specifically you know we see and even chicken barns now they're they seem to be going up everywhere and nobody's questioning that you know that we're losing however much land for those kind of facilities and i'm not either i totally appreciate you know my milk and cheese and my chicken i have no problem with that but it is interesting. We never question that. Yeah, and the infrastructure around them. So the you know, the laneways, the gas lines, the hydro poles, like it all takes some land away from yeah. primary ag production. But it's actually creating some value. You know, mm -hmm. you're actually creating more value to that land when it's managed properly, when it's thought about. So when it's smart growth. Yeah. So and, and if we go back to to the the 1500 acres. I think the number is 250 would be quote unquote out of agriculture for the surface facilities. And I don't know, I don't know if you've thought about this, but what I've thought about lately, someone had mentioned to me, you know, there's this concern about this 250 acres, or even if we say 1500, like, let's just say for argument's sake, the whole site couldn't be used for agriculture, which isn't true, but let's say it is. These same people who are opposed to that land loss are promoting rolling stewardship, which means leaving the waste where it is, which would essentially make every reactor site across the country not usable ever for anything, which like Bruce Power alone sits on over 2000 acres. So just that one site being a site of rolling stewardship would use more land than the DGR for the whole country which is kind of mind blowing if we're going to look at it as a land use kind of argument, like rolling stewardship is way worse for land use. Yeah, it was always considered a temporary storage uh, management, right? Temporary management. Yeah, you know, if it was 1500 acres, it would still make sense, wouldn't it? 
yeah i mean i've never thought about too much about it i mean i i just know where it sits right now you know above the above the lake right next to it right next to an operating nuclear facility there's just so many reasons why putting it where we're where nwmo is proposing is a good idea uh, with regards to farmland you know, I, I see so many farms have been operating next to nuclear plants and these are operating. I think that was the other distinction, Sheila. You're pretty good at expressing that. The difference between an operating facility that handles fuel every day, uranium and plutonium and, and you know, everything that comes along with it and a lot of radioactivity without hurting anybody. And the difference between those operating facilities and a static facility like a DGR, uh, you do a good job. Just, you know, knowing that all of that is stored right next to every one of these facilities right now, I, I feel like there's a better way. And I think we found one. And based on science, based on the, mm -hmm. most, the most latest science, science possible. And then again, the safety aspect, you know, there is legislation and regulation there to protect people, protect the environment. And that's federally regulated, you know, it's, that was the other thing I would find uh, odd from the opposition, the, the attack on the provincial government that I've seen lately. It's, this is a federally regulated industry uh, greatly by having a strong nuclear portfolio in the, in the energy fleet that we have. This is a federally regulated industry. So, you know, it's to me, that's, that is very robust, you know, and very well supported by science and facts. So. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it sits there at 2,300 acres. You know, farms have been farming next to it. I mean, we're just talking Bruce Power here. And, you know, right now it sits in a shed. If we want to talk it in farmer terms, these, these big blocks of uh, nuclear waste are sitting in a shed next to the You're lake. You're not wrong. Next to it is a glorified shed. It is. And I've been in there and I had an opportunity to go in there a number of years ago. And you could sit down next to these blocks and eat your lunch. And people work next to it every day and they don't, they have proximity. Uh, what do you call those again? Those um, Geiger counters that you wear around your chest to count how many REMs you got every day. Or oh, like our, um, uh, we wear, at work, we wear TLDs. And then if yeah. um, we also wear EPDs, I don't ask me what the acronym is. I don't remember off the top <laughs> of my head. I know the TLD is like thermoluminescent dosimeter, but I don't remember what EPD is. Dosimeters, um, yes. But yeah, the EPDs are like a real time. Um, the EPDs are a real time read of what your radiation is. So I would imagine it was probably those. Yeah, and having that there, I mean, now is still like it is safe where it is now, but it is not a long term solution at all. And mm -hmm. seeing all these farms operating, like that was the other thing. All these farms have been operating around these nuclear facilities for decades, literally de like a half a century or more. Mm -hmm. um, without any threat to the to the crops and to the to the products being developed on farms and produced um or the people producing them as well right so yeah. well, to me that that was almost a kind of a an easy one to point to what i find interesting I to about that argument which i've i've made this point several times when i always point out that people have been farming next to bruce power an operating facility forever and it's they've had no issues bruce power is very open with their environmental reports this is what we see this whatever you know yeah. and i always get the answer of well we're still going to be affected here because the waste is different and in my mind i'm like yes the waste is very different because the waste is not doing anything you know the reactor has the fission and the 
the really high heat and all of the pressures and all that going on in the reactor, I could get into it, but it would make it for a much longer podcast than I want to do. And, you know, the DGR is literally this spent fuel just sitting there doing nothing. It's not fissioning. It has some decay heat, which they've already accounted for in the, in the program and in the proposal. The fuel's not doing anything that's going to hurt anyone. It's just hanging out, doing its thing, you know? So yeah, yeah. the fuel, like the DGR is different in that it is exponentially safer. And I say that with such caution because our reactors are so safe, you know, and as safe as the reactors are, this is even safer. So yeah. if our reactors have never affected our ag industry, neither will this DGR. And I can't help but wonder when people start talking about stigma, like how much of that are they bringing on themselves with all of their ridiculous signage? You yeah. know, like welcome yeah. to nuke water and putting out all these letters to editors and press releases about how our agriculture is not going to be usable. You're, yeah. you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by making those statements. Yeah, because you're informing an uninformed public with with false information and who are not going to go out of their way to correct them. There's still a road ahead for NWMO and, and everybody in the nuclear industry to inform a lot more people than just in the neighborhood. But it's uh, why invite it, the stigma, when there isn't. Like why feed it, right? Why feed that incorrect information or that incorrect perception? If you're going to feed yeah. it, you're just going to make it worse. Like, why not try... Like, I'm a firm believer that there's nothing our community can't tackle on their own. Bruce County has done phenomenal things with Bruce Power in the industry. There's no reason why South Bruce can't do the same if people would come together and, like, let's work on it. You know, let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a farmer's market for, like, you know, South Bruce produce where people can go and buy South Bruce stuff. I'd go. You know, I'd support yeah. our South Bruce farmers. And I'm sure other people would, too. You know, there, like, there are options here where we can help each other if we're willing to talk about it and make it work. Well, you know, we can go down a path where I don't know these science very well and talk about how meat processing plants use irradiation to clean their facilities, stuff like that. So, well, a lot of our food at the grocery store is irradiated to kill bacteria, like all yeah. kinds of things, you know, like radiation. I have, I'm going to do a post about it soon, actually, about irradiating food and how it's like so common. And yeah, with meat, it's very common, you know, to kill bacteria yeah. in the meat. And like, I don't know, sometimes I just, I think people are either not wanting to learn or not wanting to know the truth. Yeah, the stigma argument is more, I think is more deeply based around an anti-nuclear narrative rather than a, a food safety narrative, I don't, you know, rather than a, a DGR safety narrative. This is just mm -hmm. anti-nuclear at this point, right? And yeah. And so and so it is. And we can recognize that. I'm fine with respecting their concern. I mean, sure, that's a concern. I think it's been answered. And I think I believe that that concern is addressed quite yeah. well. See, and, and I find that, you know, especially with food safety, because I've done the work where I've reached out to, you know, Canadian organic growers. I've reached out to the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. I've reached out to OMAFRA. I've reached out to the Dairy Foundation. I've reached out to the, you know, beef farmers. I've reached out to all of these organizations and they all give me the same answer that, you know, there are no restrictions to producing food next to a nuclear facility. There's no restrictions. There's no issues there. The CNSC does the testing, make sure that it's safe. It's such a robust thing, but it's almost as if those answers and those 
solutions just go through one ear and out the other. And it's just, I don't want to believe that. So I'm going to keep talking about this narrative over here that's going to scare people because, you know, I don't care what you say because I want to scare everybody. And it's so frustrating because it's like you go out and I do all this research, get all these answers for people. And then they're like, well, your answers don't matter. Yeah. And you know what? I think we've done our job at that point because you can only present as much information as possible. We don't want to, we don't want to compromise our position and our understanding and, and uh, are not, you know, we don't want to compromise the knowledge and the facts and the science because it's there. It's real. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, you start getting emotional about it. Well, that's emotion and that's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I just, I don't know. I, I see like what 3000 people every week eating their lunches at Bruce power or at Pickering or Darlington. And it's, yeah. uh, it blows my mind that stigma thing just kind of blew my mind. Okay. It's a concern. I believe that it's very well addressed through science, but it's also addressed pragmatically just by observation. That's not anecdotal at this point because it's been going on for 60 years next to a couple of these facilities in Ontario. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm feel pretty good there, you know? And so the stigma, sure. Okay. I believe it's addressed easily. Well, and I think too, you're always going to have that small group of people with anything that are going to hate the idea, right? You're always going to have that small group of people who are like, oh, you know what? The DGR is there. I really don't want to buy Bruce County beef. Okay. Then don't, because there's going to be 30,000 other people that will, right? So like, like I don't yeah. know, at some point you have to stop catering to the small population who are going to be against it no matter what you say and you know start trying to get the message out there to the broader population who are what I will call the reasonable people you know and who understand facts and science and are willing to listen to experts in the end I think I'm proud of the agriculture community in how they've adapted and through science-based information and best management practices I'm proud that they the ag community in Ontario understands that safety is important, that the environment is very important, and that uh, the sustainability of agriculture is very important through all of that. And I just see that mirrored in the nuclear industry, being in Bruce County all these years. That's what I see. I know that if you don't live in the area, why would you see that? I know it is there, and I know it's important to everybody. Just like the nuclear industry, those people that work there uh, live there in the community, just like on our farms, a lot of us live or breathe or worked and uh, slept and uh, were raised on the farms. So of course, the, if I'm drinking that water and I'm living in that environment as well, along with the animals, along with the crops I'm growing, along with the, the power they're producing, you wanna make sure it's safe, right? Otherwise mm-hmm. that is not sustainable. So for the sustainability of the energy sector and the nuclear industry and agriculture, all those things matter so much to see the humans that live there, the people that live there, the families that live there. In the long run, it's about sustainability and it, that won't change. And the, the motivation is just to be sure that the environment is protected and that people are protected. Mm-hmm. It, I can guarantee you that there is nothing more important to the nuclear industry than safety. Uh, <laughs> as a nuclear worker, I can't, I can't stress enough how seriously the industry takes safety we put safety ahead of everything you know bruce power their number one value is safety first and you know we live and breathe it all the time no you see it and like again that's something you can see 
as well. So the more people that see it, the more we can, the more that, um, you know, you and, and your colleagues in the nuclear industry and then agriculture as well can talk to people and just bring forward info, science-based info, you know, backed up by science, but bringing those experiences to everybody, I think is, is, is just better for everyone in the long run. But there's going to take some time to get there with this DGR proposal. Um, I think even the, the, propo the proponents themselves, NWMOs, also have to learn a few things too, as well. Uh, they're still doing the borehole drilling. Uh, they're still, you know, verifying what kind of rocks down there. There's still a lot more science to, to be had. You know, making any decision right now is quite irresponsible, really. So I understand waiting a little bit longer till you got everything in place, present the fact, then there's a decision to be made. But what a great opportunity for the community. What a great opportunity for agriculture, to tell you the truth. I think there's some, there's some great opportunities. And, you know, nuclear and agriculture, you wouldn't think had a whole lot of uh, uh, similarities, but I think we've identified a few today. But innovation is probably another area that I believe agriculture and nuclear can work in parallel together. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of opportunities there we can talk yeah. about someday. I, I've done a lot of research into um, like ag and nuclear collaboration, maybe is the right word, where, you know, the, the two, which, yeah, a lot of people would think are not related, but, you know, they work together to make things happen. And it would be an interesting thing episode sometime, I think, to talk about how those two interact because there are some pretty amazing things going on out there thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today i really appreciate it hey sheila it's awesome chatting with you great to chat with somebody that's in the nuclear industry that has a farming background so that's really cool um a lot of people in bruce county that uh, i know in the past a lot of people that work at bruce power working in the, in, in the industry you know do have farming backgrounds as well so don't ever lose that and uh, make sure you go and process some cattle every now and then just to ground yourself. <laughs> go get yelled at by my dad a few times for not doing something right. Gives me an opportunity to remember my roots and remember mm. what's important to, uh, to all our families. And uh, yeah, no, don't be afraid to get your hands dirty every now and then. But uh, it's great chatting with you. And honestly, Sheila, anytime, I'd love to come back and do this again. Yeah, me too. And that's it for this episode of Willing to Listen South Bruce Proud. I look forward to further investigating Canada's plan for spent nuclear fuel along with all of you. Thanks so much for joining me. And remember, we don't have to agree on anything to be kind to one another. Mm -hmm.